Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, Eurochat, episode five of our Eurochat specials. Uh, we are now talking about the uh, European elections, which are happening at the end of this month. I'm Ken Sweeney, the uh, editor of Europe United, and with me tonight, I have my fellow uh, Europe United consultant and uh, writer. Hello, Francis Cowell. Hello, how are you, Ken? I'm not bad. Francis is uh, Australian-born and European by adoption, according to your profile here. I, I am. In fact, I'm two Europeans. I'm <laughs> British and I'm French. <laughs> okay, guys, you'll know Frances because she is behind our EU election special, which if you go to our website at europeunited.eu, you'll check it out and see that she has written all of the specials on the blocks and parties that make up the European Parliament. Go there. You'll check it out. We also have the uh, all of that. You can download it as a PDF. Um, now, tonight we are going to talk about the interview that we did with David Williams. And Francis, well, how did that interview go for you? Oh, look, it was a great interview. David is a, is a great guy and he really knows his stuff. He's the chief editor for Europe at Agence France Presse, AFP, here in Paris. And, uh, and I wanted to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Because something, you know, something's been nagging me, and I think it's been nagging you too, and probably lots of other people. And that is, you know, you don't hear, you hear all about these bots things and sending nonsense information, what they call fake news, propaganda. Oh, yeah. 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 And it, they're getting very, very efficient, and they're, some of them are really clever, and so that you'd be hard-pressed to tell whether you're being targeted by a robot or, or by somebody that's actually rigid-ditch. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, hang on, I'm, I'm starting to get worried about this. Nobody likes to be duped. Nobody likes to be made a fool of. And I thought, well... Gee, how do you protect yourself against that? And David's based in Paris, is he? That's right. He's based in Paris. And so I thought, well, gee, you know, um, these things are getting very efficient. And I think everybody's in danger of being targeted and uh, and being made a fool of, not to mention having their votes stolen on them. Of course, and this is the big worry, of course, coming into the elections, because we had the problem with Trump and we had the problem with Brexit. So I suppose... We thought we That's would address right. this going into these elections. That's right. It's really important in elections because if you've got the wrong information, you're likely to vote for somebody that you really don't support if mm-hmm. you knew what was really going on. And so we're all potential victims. We're all potential targets of this. And I thought, so what do we do about it? So I thought, well, I'll ask David because he's in that position at, at Agence France Press, and he sees mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. I thought, well, if anybody got any ideas, then then he will. And Francis, um, is AFP European? Do they have a large European reach, or is it mainly in France? I think it's global. Right, actually. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, because I first heard about them when I was, oh, goodness, when I was a young girl in, oh, okay. in, in Australia. I suppose they sometimes um, get confused with Associated Press, but they're completely different, aren't they? They are quite, quite different organisations, mm-hmm. but they do often work together. Right, because Associated Press right. is non-profit. That, and, yes, yeah. um, and Agence France Press, I'm not actually sure. I think they're partly government-owned, but don't yeah, take so. my word on that one. Mm-hmm. I know in Australia they work with an organisation called Australian Associated Press, which is part of Associated Press. Okay. 
and in many countries they do that. Um, but they do no, have a worldwide reach because their website is in English yes. and so on, so they're well established. They do. Um, they do. Um, they have different language versions all over the place. So they would be in the category, say, like The Guardian or, or DW News and that kind of... I think they're actually more in the category of the BBC. Right. Okay. Of course, they're much less well-known than the BBC. Okay. But I think they, they would see themselves more in that category. Than so it'd be high-quality news analysis, that kind yep. of thing. Yes, yes. They, they've got a reputation to take care of. Okay. So I think what we'll do is we'll go to the interview, will we, and have a listen and see what... We'll have a chat then afterwards. Yeah, okay. okay let's have a listen then, guys. We'll have a listen to David Williams and see how that goes on. I'm here with David Williams in the offices of Agence France Presse here in Paris. Now, David, you don't usually give interviews, so we're very fortunate to have you, I think. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that I'm that I I'm not a recluse or anything. It's just that I'm usually on the news. I, I, I'm not banned from giving interviews, yeah. so I'm not breaking any rules. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're busy. You're busy reporting it, not not talking about reporting it. Media and elections go together. You can't have one without the other. And so my questions are going to be about the media in these particular. European elections, which uh, many people are saying are the most important yet. My first question is about bots targeting voters with dubious stories, uh, mostly from extreme parties. And, you know, you get alarmist stories all the time. How, how worried should voters be about that? Well, we think people are right to be concerned. Yeah. about misinformation and disinformation, the deliberate spread of fake news. Uh, so far, um, we haven't seen a great critical mass of uh, disinformation directed, polit di directed specifically at the European elections. We do think it's inevitable that there will be, yeah. perhaps coordinated, perhaps sporadic. Hmm. Uh, but uh, especially on social media, yeah. uh, we do expect there to be articles that intend to inflame people's emotions rather than their intellect. Uh, we think voters should be vigilant about what they read yeah. uh, and very careful about what they share on yeah. social media. Um, take care to read trustworthy news sources. Yeah. Uh, that's reliable sources, not necessarily... Us, so of course, we are reliable, but reliable sources yeah. that they know check the facts before they publish yeah. and offer balanced, uh, accurate news coverage. There's also an increasing number, as you would have seen, there's an increasing number of fact-checking sites. AFP Fact Check, for example, yeah. uh, which is one of the leading fact-checkers. Yeah. Uh, and um, we also uh, are working with um, a group of fact-checkers called, uh, called factcheckeu.info, okay. Okay. Uh, which is specifically working uh, on uh, exposing disinformation about the European elections. So far, there's a certain amount, but we haven't noticed a large enough amount for a huge number. We've just started doing one or two fact-checks uh, yeah. for that group effort. Um, okay. But we're almost certain that will grow and probably some likely suspects that we've already seen being used for other elections will come up again. 
Yeah. And so those fact checkers work with a number of different media ex- organizations. Is that how it works? Yeah, well, a lot of them come from media organizations. Selves. Yeah. Um, uh, like I th- for example, I think uh, Le Monde is one of them, okay. uh, France 24, also these are our clients, yeah. uh, also, um, and we have a team, for AFP for example, we have a team in Paris yeah. who help guide our fact checkers, which we have teams of fact checkers actually around the world, yeah. working full time just on fact checks. Okay. Uh, there's a, as an ex, as an example of a typical fact check, we find reappearing not just in Europe but from one country to another um, is uh, is one showing a man attacking a nurse. Uh, it's often presented as a migrant uh, assaulting a nurse in a local hospital yeah. of whatever country you whatever. want to name. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's a, quite an old video of a drunk in a hospital in Russia it has nothing to do with, nothing to do with, with any migrants. Oh. It's a, just a local person. But yeah. the, uh, migrants uh, make up a large proportion of the false news that we see uh, yeah. surrounding elections. Yeah, yeah. So what readers should do is see whether the news source they're reading actually is participating in in some kind of fact-check organisation. How would they find that out? Well, not necessarily, I don't think. Um, There are plenty of reliable news sources, um, and they don't even necessarily have to be institutions. There are are journalists writing by themselves, blogs, but they're reliable journalists. Uh, There's no single rule, but um, a certain amount of scepticism is important. Mm. And uh, if you do go to fact checks, a lot of the fact check sites Mm. will give advice about how to verify news, how to check that the photo, for example... Uh, that you're looking at really is about the event that it's supposed to be illustrating and isn't some five-year-old photo from another country being taken out of context. Totally out of context, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's very useful. And what can you do, honest journalists? Well, um, at AFP, um, exposing misinformation has become one of our priorities. Yeah. Uh, we have seen uh, there's this explosion of false news on social media. Yeah. Uh, as you know, it's been put particularly on the spotlight since the US elections. Yeah. And we try to attack misinformation and distrust of the media uh, in basically in two ways. One is directly, we have about 40 journalists working around the world dedicated yeah. just to fact-checking. Uh, most of them are in the Asia-Pacific, Africa and North America. Mm. We also have this team in Paris. Yeah. We have Spanish-language fact-checkers in Madrid. Um, we're about to set up a Polish-language fact-checking okay. team in Warsaw. So... We do, uh, we really basically at the forefront of that. And we do, uh, for the European election specifically, as I mentioned, we're working with factcheck.eu, which has 19 other partners. Uh, So we work, we can also work with them on fact checks as well as just sending in our own fact checks for them to add onto their website. Beyond that, beyond fact checking, we think it's important to get back to the basics of journalism, uh, which means being on the ground, uh, speaking to people who are not just in the big city, speaking to people who are marginalised and even then not only listening to opinions also trying to balance it with context factual context whether it's part of the story of course but also in separate fact boxes graphics 
showing what the what is the actual impact of migration, for example, on an economy. So we th- we think these are these are the getting back to the issues that are important to people yeah. and trying to give not just the metropolitan view of these issues. So, for example, in Europe, we're 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 running at the moment a whole series of mini packages on issues that we think are important ahead yeah. of the election. So that could yeah. be about poverty, uh, anti-elite forces, it could be about the environment. In fact, we have one just about the spread of disinformation as well. And, yeah, yeah I, was, I was going to remark that in this election, the, the media becomes part of, has become part of the story, which is a bit unfortunate. Well, we would, uh, I mean, you're right, but there's always been a tension between politicians and the media, of course, because they they make claims, then it's up to us to hold them accountable to those claims. That's right. That's why so, we have you. <laughs> so that's unlikely to change, I think. But as you you know, as you rightly say, it's the deliberate spread of that false news that's really exploded with with social media, and now increasingly on messaging, instant messaging apps. Indeed, it goes so fast. Facebook and other uh, online platforms social media type platforms have come under a lot of fire for content that's shown on their on their platforms how fair is that is say facebook take that because everyone knows it are they uh, more like a media organization like afp or, or a newspaper where they do curate they should curate and edit what they put on or are they more like as they say or they like to say anyway they're more like a telephone company where they can't control what's being said over it. Or are they something completely different? Well, I think it's fair to hold them to account for false news that is spread on their platforms. Uh, They make an awful lot of money from it. They're not classic media organisations. They don't have teams of journalists. Uh, They don't have newsrooms. But Facebook, for example, is effectively the world's biggest news publisher. And they are rightly, I think even they would admit, rightly under immense pressure uh, because they're being held responsible for disinformation that's being spread on their platform. And it's true that their business model relies on people clicking on articles and generating advertising. But to be fair, I do think that they recognize they have a responsibility and they're starting to take some steps but that doesn't mean that they're anything close to resolving this which is still a a major and pressing issue Uh, they're clients of ours facebook are clients of ours Uh, so when we um if we publish a fact check that relates to something that's being spread widely on facebook they will link it to the original false news item yeah so when somebody clicks on that they'll get a message saying afp has written about this and you'll be able to click and see what we've written normally saying and whether it's true which is less rare or whether it's fake Uh, and we give quite a a forensic examination which explains why exactly where this photo was originally taken uh, who said what we get back to the original source and in addition Facebook tell us that they also, when we flagged up something as being false, mm. they also change the algorithm so that the the, per- the, the story in question mm. uh, is harder to find, is will reappear less okay. on uh, news feeds. That's good news. Mm. I mean, that, to me, that says that they are actually gen- that's a genuine effort to do something about it oh, in response to enormous pressure. 
Yeah, I mean, we we also do something similar uh, with Google, where they also will link uh, items as do as well other fact checkers, not just AFP. Yeah. They'll link items that we fact check with the original story in the search results. So yeah. that that also has some impact. I think there's you know it's no by no means a, you know a struggle which is over. Is it's still a problem and a massive challenge to all media. Yeah. Uh, and it's resulted partly resulted in a, la- a huge lack of trust in the world's media. That's certainly that's certainly happening, and it doesn't help when politicians. Uh, Donald Trump isn't the only one uh, at all who. Uh, Politicians criticise media organisations for like yours, like AFP and, and other honest media sources, are generating falsehoods. That doesn't help at all. It's easy to forget, though, despite all that, with all of the, the noise around social media, it's very easy to forget that most people actually get most of their news from traditional sources like television and newspapers, organisations like AFP. So you've already touched on this this already, but what else would you comment on there that well, I think most that, organisations could do? Well, newspapers and TV are still hugely important, even though paper editions of newspapers have slumped dramatically. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Television broadcast via TV is declining yeah. in terms of audience numbers, but they still reach out online as well. Yeah, uh, that's becoming increasingly important. Uh, I think they're most many of the major European papers and TV broadcasters are also our clients, and a rising number of them are directly involved in fact checking yeah. for the European elections. I think I mentioned before Le Monde. Mm-hmm. And France Bancat, for example, which are both part of the FactCheck EU, FactCheck EU dot info project. So uh, one thing, one other thing which is interesting is that traditional TV and newspapers are, are brands. Yes. And those brands often command trust. Yes. I don't have the figures for for Europe, but there's um, a study last year by the Reuters Institute showing that in the United States, local TV news was the most trusted news brand. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And then it's followed by big-name newspapers and broadcasters. Yeah. 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 Okay. That is really interesting. Not that surprising when you think about it. It's still very interesting. Now, do you want to go into these questions about the stories? Sure. Yeah. Now, we were mentioning this earlier, actually, David, but and I think you'll remember that I said I was at a renaissance event last night where, oh, there were about, I think there were four candidate MEPs who were addressing the gathering. There were only about 40 or 50 of us in the room. It wasn't huge about their role in the coming election. And they gave some very interesting talks about their policies and they've got some very good policies and nobody's doubting that. And I asked them, because this is something I've been worrying about. I said, how is it that I'm seeing so little coverage, or I seem to be seeing so little coverage, of the centre parties, the the parties associated with the EPP group, which is the centre-right group in, in Brussels, and uh, the S&D, and indeed the ALDI. And every time I turn on a news outlet, 
somewhere there, there will be a story about either Farage or Marine Le Pen or Salvini or both. Well, Salvini you can excuse because he's, he's PM of Italy. Uh, it's a good question. Um, we cover all of the major parties and we have serious coverage. We have bureaus right across in every country in Europe. We have a major bureau, for example, in Brussels. And it's true, though, that we also have to cover phenomenon such as the anti-elite parties yeah. just because they're news. Because they're there. Yeah. Um, because they are, not just because they are newsworthy, but because they are often reflecting a dissatisfaction with the way things are running from people on the ground. So we would try to run it these stories not just by speaking to people like Farage, but by speaking to the people who are voting for people like Farage okay. and try to work out what's driving that. That's in some ways a more interesting story. Yes. But we do also have to cover Farage. We're careful though, to balance out the coverage overall. Yeah. So because there's a danger, there is a danger that if you're only going for these faces, these anti-elite faces, these anti-immigrant or faces, that you give them an exposure which is not proportionate to their importance in the elections. Yeah. Francis, what did you take out of that interview? Well, I thought David made a couple, made a couple of very interesting points. Mm-hmm. First of all, first of all, there's some good news, and the good news is that we're not entirely by ourselves. If we want to protect ourselves against being bullshitted at, uh, pardon my French. No, that's okay. Uh, you're in. We, you're amongst friends. <laughs> I hope so. If we want to to protect ourselves from that nonsense, then there are independent fact-checking services, and he gave us some information about that, which is great. He also made the interesting point that news organisations like AFP, like BBC, like other organisations you know, are brands. So they have that means they've got a reputation to keep up, and if they start giving biased into biased coverage and and sending out misinformation, things that are just false, then they're going to be caught up by their listeners and they're going to lose their their audience and they can't really afford to do that. So an organization that has a brand is in some way um, a measure of protection. The point that I found very interesting though, with the question about Facebook and the other social media organizations. Now, I was interested, I didn't know that Facebook was actually a client of their one of their news uh, fact-checking services. Now, yeah, that, 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 was that was really interesting, wasn't it? How did they balance that? I, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, um, have I got Facebook all wrong? And, and Ken, call me cynical, but, oh, you're talking to the king of cynics here. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll contest. We'll have we'll have a showdown on that one day. <laughs> um, but I thought, well, hang on, hang on. Certainly, certainly, what he said was very positive mm-hmm. about Facebook. It sounds like they are taking it seriously as far as it goes. But then I thought, now, hang on. What's behind this? And you'll remember. About two weeks before that, so about the end of March, Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. came out and said he thought government should regulate organizations like his. Yeah, he wanted wanted the governments to do the dirty work, basically. 
effectively, effectively. And I thought, well, um, God, that sounded odd. Maybe they've actually turned a page, but here comes the cynic. No, no, no. I lived all my life in a, in a regulated industry, which is finance. And uh, what I do know is that a regulated industry likes being regulated because that shifts the blame back onto the government. So when another Cambridge Analytics blows up, which it will, Facebook and uh, the others can say, well, you know, it wasn't just us. Look, the regulators goofed up too. And then you have the governments uh, as well who will always say, like in Ireland here, they have the National Standards Authority of Ireland who yeah, like to bring yeah. the industry on board to regulate themselves yeah. because then they yeah. can throw the, the blame back on them and say, well, you designed your own standards. So yeah, it's always this right. kind of ping pong type of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, duck shoving. It's mm, uh, yeah. point, pointing the bone at somebody else. Risk sharing, it's called in the official <laughs> jargon. Um, but there's another angle too, and that is... Facebook being the biggest organization, what are they going to do? They're going to lobby the regulator, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, they've, got, they've got budget to do that. And what are they going to do? They're going to influence the regulations. So that um, they're, not, they're going to do that in the interests of their, um, their members, their, their the shareholders. Yeah, shareholders. No, guess well they are going to do in the interests of their shareholders, i.e. Mark Zuckerberg et, et al., what they're going to do is massage the regulations with lots of lobbying so that the regulations work in their favour and against any potential competition. Who is their competition, now, though? They don't have any competition. No, well, they're going to make sure that they don't, aren't they? So there you are. If you want a cynical view, there you, <laughs> there you have it. And what's so, unique about them, Francis, is they even have a unique database of advertisers. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, for example... They have government, like government bodies, right across to Pepsi Cola. So many yeah. different type of people want to advertise on Facebook. Yeah, Newspapers course. don't even have that access. No, no, nobody, nobody does. Arguably, it, the only other organisation has anything remotely like the access is Google. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. and you'd be and you'd be similarly cynical about them too. So, but Google you know, isn't so social. No. No, I think Facebook knows more um, more intimate details about people, but oh, yeah. Google knows a, Google knows a lot. So, so you, you really have to look behind these things. You have to, and there, I, I think there's the last the last takeaway from this interview, and that is that we've got tools. We're not entirely by ourselves, but in the end, it is up to you as a consumer, as a listener, as a reader to use a bit of common sense and say, okay, why are these guys doing this? What's behind this? And that really is the best way to protect yourself against being made a big fool of. But That's what I took away from that anyway. Looking at the way AFP conducts themselves and then say looking yeah. at the way the British media conducts themselves, this is well, chalk and cheese to the extreme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that... Rec that re reflects the different um, media regulations. I know the UK in particular has particularly um, uh, idiosyncratic libel laws um, that protects the protects the press. I think um, so, and the press is self-regulated there. Now that's a good thing and a bad thing, of course, because we need a free press. 
we need an independent press and sometimes we need a very noisy press. Again, it's up to the audience to decide what they're going to put up with from the press. And sometimes, in my view, and in many many people's view, I think the press in the UK oversteps, and I think that's happened recently. But and would you would you agree though that the press in the UK is becoming less specialised? In that there are people who seem to be stepping from one corridor to another. In that when I was a child, there were people who specialised in politics who never went from politics. Yeah. Nowadays, you have say you know people like say um gavin essler now who seems to be moving into politics and he was an performer yeah. journalist it seems to be too easy for people to just drop from one career into another and there seems to be a certain clouding of of priorities and roles and i no. think conf- i think consumers and i think the public seem to be confused uh I, I don't blame them i don't blame them i get confused by it all too but but you know if you put a gun at my head, I I rather like the idea of um, a free and a noisy press, even at the expense of one that that disseminates nonsense. You're always going to have organisations that will disseminate nonsense, and it's up to the consumer, to an extent, to protect themselves. I'm not an expert on libel laws, and I can't really really comment. But if you gave me a choice between the press in the UK, noisy, disrespectful, and sometimes nonsense, quite a lot of often nonsense as it is, and uh, a press that is so self-censored that it's frightened to say boo, then I'll choose the former any day. But my fear would be uh, somebody like Piers Morgan, for example, deciding he's going to go yeah. into government or to go into politics. Oh, yeah. He doesn't need to. He no, but true. But imagine if he did, because <laughs> yeah. this this would be this would be just how susceptible the UK has become. Um, yes. And, yes. And the danger is that he would get votes. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely, he would. Absolutely, he would. For the same reason Donald Trump did. Yeah. And the other that I, I go, you know, I, I agree with you. No, no, hold on. The, the, the same would probably apply to some comedian like Frankie Boyle or, or you know, somebody like yeah. that. They would get votes, and likewise on the other side of the political sphere. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that the, you know, the problem lies with the with the conservative right or whatever you want to call Piers Morgan because he seems no. to swing from one end of the scale to the other depending on whatever mood he gets up in. But no. I'm not saying that that's just lies with his 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 character. But what I'm trying to say is it goes with anything that the UK seems to be in a, in a flux of of uh, social insecurity. It doesn't seem to know where it is. It doesn't seem to have an identity anymore. I, I, I think yeah, I think you've got a very good point there. Um, and I think that that probably goes well beyond the press. And what you're seeing in the press probably reflects something much broader that's going on in the UK. But if you look, say you're in France, if you look at French politics... Mm. It, you know uh, what? Yeah. I've never. We seem to see like people say, "Oh, there's a rise of the right," but it's always kind of been there. It, it has been there for a long time. There's nothing new it about that. The same in Italy. I mean, it's, we're not looking at anything yeah. new. No, no, we're not. It's been there. It's rising. It's scary. It's still. Its strongholds are still the same place mm-hmm. as they've more or less always been. And I think uh, what's happening is is that social media seems to be just amplifying that. In other words, oh. people just seem to be able to notice it more than yeah. they possibly would have noticed it before. But I think the problem with the UK is that it just seems to be thrown into this Kenwood mixer 
and what's yeah. coming out is this massive goo that people just seem unable to palate. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of that going on. If you like, you know, to, to a, lot of, a large extent, they're just telling people what they want to hear. Um, I should add that you know I'm Australian by origin, no. and <laughs> goodness gracious, I thought you were New Zealander. I oh, stop it. <laughs> one has fun up. Uh, no, I look one. One loves the New Zealanders. They um, they, they they have many qualities that that Australia could do with, um, but. Uh, an erstwhile Australian um, is one of the most dangerous people in the world, or until recently has been, and that's that's Rupert Murdoch. We can disown him now because he disowned Australia back in the eighties when he wanted to list in New York, and there you uh, go, yeah. He yeah. Yeah. so he he abandoned his Australian citizenship. So that's but um, but can I pull us back? Can I pull us back to David Williams? Is is AFP is what they stand for now becoming a minority form of media? Probably numerically, yes. If you talk, um, there are probably more media organisations that care much less about their integrity. But the ones that still do, I think, are much better known and probably, well, once better known, I wouldn't say they've necessarily got to be the circulation. I'm not a media expert, by the way. No. This is just my, my impression. But, you know, AFP have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So has the BBC. Uh, whatever you think of them, but they, they do have a reputation to keep up. Organisations like The Guardian, mm -hmm. um, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, which is one of the best-known newspapers in the world, mm -hmm. uh, it has a reputation. These organisations have reputations to keep up. Now, there aren't that many of them. And what about, say, uh, for us, the not for English speakers, they wouldn't be aware of, say, like some of the more continental ones. What about France? What, what, where would you have? Where would we be with, in terms of say, continental ones? Would, would, would it be Paris or would it be French ones that would have good reputation? Yeah, well, AFP is one. Okay. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, I think it's partly government owned, but I'm not sure about mm -hmm. that. Don't take me as. I suppose DW would be considered a reputable media organization. Yes, that's right. And then you have Le Monde, mm -hmm. which is one of the most respected organizations in the world. Now, obviously, um, we're, we're obviously speaking from a from a, a liberal point of view. I mean, there would be people listening here tonight who would be completely disagreeing with us. Yeah, well, but they they know the media organizations where they are. Mm. And oh, that, that actually reminds me of another interesting point that, that David made. He said the most trusted media organizations are local news organizations now isn't that interesting well i would agree People, with that yeah i mean I, certainly from in ireland here you would have say local regional newspapers that would still have pretty good circulation um yeah, th they yeah, would struggle yeah. they would struggle to sell but yeah. they would still be trusted in terms of say you know local news and so on yeah yeah i think What's happening in your local community is easy to check on. You can hear what other people are saying, mm -hmm. so you you trust it. At the national level, that's harder because you the the yeah, there's a joke. You can't trust politicians. Too. There's a joke. How do you tell the difference between a politician and a parrot? 
he can't tell if the parrot's lying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, look. The thing is, though, we 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 do we do. I suppose we need to we need to look beyond the headlines, and I I, I always say that, and I suppose that if people aren't willing to look beyond the headlines, I suppose they have themselves to blame. Um, yes. And fact checks. There are no fact checks facilities in the world um, available for people to do that. No, you can't. You can't protect people against. Um, uh, I hesitate to use the word, but it does boil down to laziness. Mm-hmm. That said, a lot of people just don't have time. And as David said that in the interview, there there are a number of facilities that are available there. Yeah, and they're free. And yeah. they're very accessible. And they're independent, uh, which is very important as well to know. They are independent. And um, he says there's a lot of collaboration between organisations, so it's not seen as a proprietorial thing. Um, and he actually then took me to meet his fact-checking team, oh, cool. which was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they showed how painstaking it is to actually sift through and go through images and videos that are on the they find being published and say well actually that photograph is not what it claims to be it comes from somewhere else blah, so blah, blah. maybe what we should do is try and get a video blog yeah. on inside of AFP maybe we should go back and ask him if we could do that that would be, that would be great for yeah. for for um, our followers you know we could try and do that see if he would let us do that because that, I think that would be a that, real good insight that would be good he um, he may there may be reasons they may not be able to do that but we can always ask yeah I think it would be interesting um, I'm trying yeah. I want to move the in this along um, because obviously we, we we're we're always thinking of the clock the the thing about that I want to bring up because Obviously, AFP are a professional media organisation. We are not. We are a citizen journalism organisation. That's right. How do we figure in this, Fran? How do how do we how do we work with these organisations? Should there always be a gap between us and them? Um, I think there sort of needs to be. Well, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't know. I, I haven't. I have to say, I haven't thought about that much. But we play a quite a different role in that we we draw our, our material both from our, our listeners, um, our readers, and from other independent sources. So our roles are quite different. Perhaps there is room for collaboration. I suppose we need to stay away from breaking news. That's, that's the thing. I think citizen I, journalism needs to stop being breaking news. I, th- I see it a lot, and I think it's stupid. I think we're not, you know, we we shouldn't be trying to do that. I think what... Where yeah. citizen journalism works best is where we need to slow down and look at the situation, analyze it, and give an opinion yeah. on it post, you know, yeah, post and post the happening, so to speak. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. We cannot, we just cannot compete with professional news organisations who've got journalists on the ground reporting. Most of it is from, plagiarism, anyway. Well, quite a lot of it is, but I think an accessible commentary on the news as you said delve below the headlines what does this really mean well what what are the implications of facebook asking to be regulated and saying well you know what what what's in it for them what's their angle i think that is where we can add some value yeah, and I, I, it, Facebook as well, though. To be fair to Facebook, I, I think citizen journalism was dead in the water until Facebook came along. Anyway, 
<laughs> well, there you are, you see. I mean, blogging, blogging was a different story because blogging was just kind of personal opinions of people like telling stories, mostly no. personal stories. And what yeah. happened was Facebook managed to allow um, the media to become a different levels, it work at different levels. And I think what it did was it, yeah. it, it brought citizen journalism back. Yeah. You know. And that's got to be a good thing. Well, it became an electronic um, pamphlet, really. Yeah, yeah, and and that's got to be a good thing because mm. it, it's opening up to different views, points of view. Because in some countries, in particular, the press isn't as free as we'd like it to be, and so in those places, this kind of journalism is vital to get different points of view across. Oh, and definitely, it, definitely. Yeah, if you look at say, absolutely. if you look at say, second world countries like say places like in Kurdistan, yeah. Turkmenistan, places like maybe yeah. in Central Eurasia, the journalism yeah. is kind of it's it, it's semi it's semi restricted. So yeah. I'm sure citizen and journalism, especially between, especially in the case of young journalists who wouldn't have the opportunity to maybe gain yeah. access to proper media sources, that would be a vital for them. Oh, absolutely, it's vital. It's, it's absolutely vital. And to get uh, an alternative point of view on what's going on in the world and not just be fed the, what the government wants you to hear is absolutely vital. That's why we have a press. That's, why, that's what we're all about in Europe, protect our free press. And it's, it, we take it for granted, but it's, it's, it, many people would love to have it who don't. So, and I think we'd probably like to take the opportunity to let all the media out there listen. We're we're available. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we we'll yeah, we'll yeah, happily we'll happily act as a scout for you. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so there, and you know, it's um, it's 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 fair. I just can't tell you how important it is and how easily it is to take take for granted our. Our free press, and certainly just. Um, I think what we should do. I think what we should do is we should probably get interviewing uh, part two, maybe Mr. Williams, and we should probably talk to him about citizen journalism and see what what his opinion would be on that. Oh, now that would be interesting. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that, that would be, be good because um, you know, this is something that journalists, some journalists detest, and then some journalists really welcome. So it would be interesting. To yeah, see that, yeah. because I I think that's something that um, m major media sources they don't think about, uh, like and and in other other industries do usually have a nursery type thing. You know, if you look at football, there's like there's always yeah. a nursery type thing where you have a smaller club being fed, yeah. you know, an academy style thing. And if if yeah. if you have say a citizen journalism organization that's feeding a non profit organization like us, that's feeding young journalists or even yeah. you know, not necessarily young people, but just say a talented writers and academics or, or people who just basically have a clue into certain things you know yeah. the, 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 the the material is there and it can be from yeah. anywhere around the world as well and I, I, I've noticed France 24 do that as well they're looking for people who can send in blogs and vlogs as they call them you know and they're looking for information on, on, on areas around the world and I think this is yeah. where, where organisations like Europe United can benefit bigger media organisations you know? Oh I think we can I think we can People feel relaxed about it because it's not one of the big organisations. It feels closer to them, and and so they feel it. They, it feels more accessible, and they can say more or less what they more or less what they like within reason, um, within the bounds of decency, and 
And I think that, well, that's a great thing. It's a great thing. Can I ask you, service. before we just close up for the now, we've got a few more minutes. Do, what do you think of the coverage of the European elections on a European scale? Do you think it's been widely, it's, it's like people aren't taking notice of it, or do you think it's still something that's been resigned to say something like Euronews? Do you know what? I'm getting mixed signals. I, on one level, I'm seeing a lot more being talked about. When I go to the cafe across the street for my breakfast in the morning, uh, people are talking about the elections. So it's not being shrugged off ho-hum as it has been in the past. I think people are taking these elections more seriously than they have in the past, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And yet I am sort of... I expected to see more in the media than I have uh-huh. still. And uh, and I think were it a national election, were it a presidential election or for the for the parliament, I think we would see more coverage. But Europe is still being still seen as, as more remote. Um, though I think people are starting to twig that it's actually not unimportant and in fact it's actually quite important. Right. So mixed signals there, mixed signals. I think in Ireland here, it's it's become really uh, a message. The message is getting out now, and I think it's it's become a big issue here in the last two weeks. The spits and yeah. candidate thing is just totally irrelevant here in Ireland. There's no talk of yeah. it whatsoever. So that's, really, yeah, that, oh, wow. that's just non-event. Um, yeah, it's all about so the local. It's all about the local issue. Yeah. There's, there's obviously there's local council elections going on. That's that's you know that's been talked about. That's important. Yeah, wow. um, we also have wow. we also have a divorce amendment referendum going on. I, I I'm not 100 percent sure how that works, but we, I think what we're going to do actually I'm going to do make sure that there's an article up on that on your open oh, the next so. week or so. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah we'll get yeah, that I done. So. But um, I think so because uh, Ireland will be in the spotlight about. Yeah, that. yeah. So that's going to happen. But there's yeah. there's basically in regards to the MEPs it's just about local MEPs but wow. the Spits and Kinder that thing is just no one absolutely has spoken about that one iota here in Ireland wow. and I think I think that's that whole concept oh, I can see that being dropped wow uh, I don't think it's sparked uh, interest at all oh dear and for Ireland the EU is really really important yeah but I just uh, don't think we no one's talking about it you know, like I've asked, wow. I've asked people like here, and you know, yeah. we'll be talking about the elections, and they've just what? What is that? Yeah. I don't know what that is. So you yeah. know, um, I, 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 I'm sure it's the same all around Europe. I don't think people really are. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an irrelevant thing. I still think it's about if if people are interested in the European elections, I still think it's about the local MEPs being elected. So I don't uh, know what they're I, going to do with that spits and kinder that thing. I mean, you know. I, yeah. No, it's. Um, Do you what? Really, sorry, Francis, but what really bugs me about it is that there's no clear candidates. You know, Aldi have seven, the GUE have two. Um, you know, the, 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 some of them don't have any. You know, I know the Greens have yeah. gone with this gender balance thing, but it's still very confusing. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and it, 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 it's. I think it, it points to something that's sort of endemic with the European democracy it is seen as being remote and it's not clear course uh, no and it's it's very interesting that eu elections tend to provoke uh, opportunities for what they call protest voting mm-hmm. so people are voting against what they don't like in yeah. the local government yeah they don't the do that government. in the united states they go for the sharp character 
Yeah, well, they do in most places, actually. But uh, but the EU elections, I can name a few of the MEPs or the mm-hmm. candidates yeah. for the for Macron's party who are mm. going forward. But if you ask me, what are they about? Yeah. What do they stand for? Mm-hmm. Then I'll say, well, probably the same things that Macron stands for. Mm-hmm. Which isn't very helpful, no, because you know, because they're probably going to join up with the Alde group, yeah. And so, in fact, what they're going to be about is whatever Alde is about. Well, this is all. it. And like you have, say, Fianna Fáil here in Ireland, who are part of the Alde group, they're not they're not supporting Alde at all. And no. then you have Sinn well, Féin, who are part of GUE and NGL, and they're not supporting Spitz no. and Kinder, that project at all. No, so no, it's, all, it's half in, half out. Yeah. No, nobody is. There's no visible um, government and opposition in Europe. It's the eight groups, and they go into the the parliament and they vote. And it's perfectly democratic, but it's much less tangible to ordinary people. And I think that's one reason that there's there's less interest than we there but really ought the, to be. The, but the Spitz and Kinder, just to go back briefly to that. What yeah. confuses me about that is when you have the presidential candidates in the United States, right, they yeah. just chop them as they go along, right? Tons of yeah. them, loads of them turn up initially and then as the weeks go yeah. by, they drop off, right? They go, 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 yeah. go. And then eventually at the end of the day, it's one against one, right? Yeah. Th- that's how a proper thing works, you know, that's how it should work. What happens what? with the European elections is you have these groups of people turning up sorry for the spits and kind of that thing you have these groups of people but then you have these people who are on the same party and then one yeah. week you've got one guy turning up for the for the GUE then you've got a lady turning up for the GUE and people are just confused they just kind of go oh uh, hang on I thought that I thought there was I thought there was a girl yeah. you know re- representing yeah. the GUE so what you know they're kind of going what, the, what is this about so there's no there's nobody to get a hold of there's nobody to get behind do you know what I mean? You can't. No. You need to get behind one candidate. You you want to root for somebody. Yeah, and that and that is that's that's very very difficult to do in in the European context. See, it's all very they're fair. Not, it's all very gonna... no you force no you force sort of thing. You, you yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. it's never going to work if it's going to be like that. No, and you know who outside of Bavaria has heard of Manfred Weber? <laughs> um, you know, what is he going to do? That will be different from what Juncker has been doing the last five years. You know, no, I, I mean they're better off if they're going to go for the European Commissioner. They're better off just going back to either just electing the guy within or either electing the guy without. Trying to put this presidential style thing half in and then doing a hames of it by making it half in and half out, and then having yeah. Bas Eichut and and uh, uh, I can't think the other girl's name, two of them holding hands yeah. together saying, "I don't mind if you win, and I don't mind if you win." That's just nonsense. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's people, people. You need them people. stabbing each other in the back, Francis. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? That's, you need Manchurian candidate stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. You need, yes. And that's what people expect to see. They expect that's what they vote for. That's what politics yeah. is about. Well, it means they know what they'll be voting for. I think they'll think they do at least. Do you and, actually know, sorry for jumping in, but do you know what would be the best thing? If you put Manfred Weber up against Nigel Farage, then everybody would vote for the European Union. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? God, I mean, I wonder. It, it would at least yeah. it would at least put you know because everybody who would normally not vote but would 
be in favor of the European would then get up would then get up and vote. They'd say, Oh God, we can't let him in there, you know. So at least to be mean, some kind of dramatic dramatic situation, you that, know. Yeah, yeah. A bit of yeah, a bit of biffo and uh, a bit of biffo where, you know, give them a one two and and uh, see how they they take it. See what they're going to be like when they're in there negotiating and protecting our interests. Yeah, it's all what too safe, you know. It's the centre ground yeah, is just it's too. All, it's too. Uh, there's just too much politeness. Too and, gen- it's too genteel. Yes. And and it looks and from the outside, look, this, all this compromise stuff is great. It's great in its place, but from the outside, it can be pre- presented too easily as a stitch up. Yeah, I think that's and, and this that's what I'm saying. Even the and, even the words spits and kinder that and people kind of going what yeah spits yeah. what and, <laughs> I don't think the yeah. Australians would would swallow that too well, would they? <laughs> well, gee, you know, um, gee, and even even when you translate it to English, it's favourite candidate. What? Yeah, Hello, exactly. what are you talking yeah. about there? Yeah. <laughs> you I'll, can't expect me to buy that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they, I'm know. not trying to say that it should be in English, right? But even if they had super candidate or something, you know, no, super genuine. They can translate into any language they want. But yeah. what it what it means sounds like a stitch up. To yeah, me. yeah. It is. I think, I think, I think it's a dead duck. I think to be, to, I mean, in all yeah. seriousness, I don't think it's, I don't think it's working. I think it's probably going to end up being pushed aside at some point or another by the time they get to the next elections. And I think. Um, they will uh, have to come up with something a bit more dynamic and a bit more tangible that people can actually identify with. But I do think whatever you call it and whatever process you need, you use to choose the president of the commission, which is a very powerful position, by the way, mm-hmm. then it has to be seen to be visible. I don't think it's that necessarily that undemocratic now but it's not visible enough yeah people need to to see it kick the tires touch it poke holes in it and 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 say yeah okay all right I'm, I, I know who this guy is I like him or I don't like him or her and I'm going to vote for him or I'm not going to vote for him. and then they'll know why they're voting for that person or not and I think that's where we need to get to with Europe now, the other thing that we've got to bear in mind is that the the Lisbon Treaty's been in, in place for 10 years and the whole EU, EU government, if you can call it that, is still finding its feet under the new rules. And in the last five years has changed dramatically under the, the presidency of Donald Tusk. And the next president of the council is going to change things even more. In fact, the next council is going to change even more. So it's a work in progress. And it's people say, well, we're going to reform the EU. Yes, but it's under constant reform anyway. It's mm-hmm. doing that itself. It's evolving itself. And to put it fairly bluntly, it's growing up. It did a lot of growing up in the last five years. And... Um, and the next presidents of the council and the commission understand they've got big jobs, not just in Europe but worldwide. And to, and to pull you back, to pull us back mm. into our original reason for having the podcast tonight, because obviously we were discussing media, we just slightly digressed yes, to go after the bits of kinder that thing here. But obviously it is growing, but it is 
under the spotlight of social media more so than it has been ever because in the last say 20 years it didn't have this spotlight whereas in the last say sorry the last 30 years it didn't have this spotlight since yeah. say like 1990 when it went from being the EEC you know towards yeah. what it is but yeah. in the last 10 years it has had to deal with this massive yeah. um, glare of social media and I think this has it's 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 under attack now whereas yeah. it never had to deal with this type of of attack before yeah, yeah. and you know, you know who was it Nietzsche who says what doesn't what doesn't kill me will make me stronger mm-hmm. if it survives it it will be in good shape so would you say that the next uh, 10 years are crucial uh the next five are particularly crucial mm-hmm. the next 10 and then certainly the next 10 in six or seven years' time, we'll have a very good idea where Europe is headed. So you're saying if uh, the European Union gets through the next 10 years, that's it, it, it will be here I for good? Think, I think, um, well, you know, as, who was it that says you'd never, never forecast anything, especially about the future? Okay. Um, <laughs> but, Sorry about so that. A dangerous thing, a dangerous thing, predicting what's going to happen. But certainly Europe is going to be very, very challenged and it really needs to have its act together and uh, the support of citizens. So that's why everyone's saying these elections are so important. Mm -hmm. And I think the social media is a good thing and it can be a very bad thing. It can be both. It can spread, it's much better at spreading nonsense and bullshit than established branded news organisations. But in places where established news organisations either self-censor or are muffled for whatever reason, then social media can step in and fill a really, a really valuable valuable service by filling that void so it's a good thing and it's a bad thing mm-hmm. and it's with it i think it's with us to stay and we've got to learn to learn to use it sensibly yeah and on that note i think we'll call it a night um well, well it's been great to talk to you yeah and i will say to everybody just uh, before we do go remember you can go to our website it's europeanunited.eu we have a ton of stuff there on the european elections and i must say 90 percent of it is due to uh, this lady who we're talking tonight francis cow oh, she has done oh. a huge amount of work if you go there you will see a um a complete list of specific articles on the blocks and parties that make up the European Parliament. Um, you'll see stuff there on Aldi. You'll see stuff on the EPP. Uh, everything you need to know is there. Just click on the website. Go to the top page there. Click on your EU elections 2019 and you'll get a rundown. There's also, um, when you click on our website, you'll go to our publications page and you'll be able to download a PDF of the entire lot just done for you. And you can sit there, you can read it and you can have a look at it. We also have a couple of podcasts there for the European elections we got a four podcast there we got an interview with roger cassell we got an interview with the green spits and kindadat one of them uh bass i he's a very nice guy we also have an interview with uh Sinn fein mep matt carty and we also were in the european parliament there um courtesy of the european parliament actually in ireland they brought us over for a free trip and uh, we took them we we made the most of us we did a pol- uh, podcast while we were over there we grabbed people by the scruff of the neck and we interviewed them while they were running down the stairs we don't we take we don't we don't take prisoners when 
around in Europe United. <laughs> so we're constantly um, doing articles. So please go to the website there. It's europeunited.eu. We are a volunteer organization and all of our, our writers and contributors are volunteers. We also have a Twitter page, which is Europe United EU. And we are also on Facebook. Of course we are, which is, again, Europe United EU. So do join us there. You can like us. You can give out to us and uh, we'll ignore you. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> we're just so busy. We don't have time to say sorry <laughs> because we're too busy writing articles. That's what we're doing. I'm doing podcasts and everything. Now, actually, just while we're here, I just want to say um, we've been telling everybody this. We do have some good news. We have been awarded a grant by the um, uh, Department of Foreign Affairs here in Ireland uh, for a Eurochat podcast, which is really cool. So we, we can let you know this officially. Uh, we will be doing tons of podcasts now. Um, which means that we have the full support of the Irish government. Uh, this is really great news for us because it gives us a little bit of recognition here in Ireland and it allows us to continue doing what we're doing. So you, you can uh, expect us to be pumping out these podcasts on a regular basis. Uh, they're going to be about everything uh, to do with Europe. So um, if you have any ideas that you would like us to cover, you can get in touch oh, with yeah. us by info at europeunited.eu. We'd love to hear some suggestions on podcasts uh, because come the end of this month, the European elections are going to be over. So there's going to be lots more stuff that we'd want to talk about. So do get in touch with us there uh, at info at europeunited.eu. So my name is Ken Sweeney and uh, we've been talking okay. with... Francis Cole. Yeah, she's based in Paris, the beautiful city. And, uh, <laughs> so thank you very much for listening, guys. We will have episode six soon. We're in the business of recording that as we speak, and that's going to come out real soon. That's probably going to be the last European election podcast. It's going to be a bit mad, I think, because we're going to have the yeah. Eurovision on as well. So I think that's going to be a bit bonkers one. I think we're going to let our short, uh, let our short top open on that one. So we look forward to hearing that soon. But thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.